Hello, and welcome to the HRD Live podcast. I'll be your host, Elizabeth Roscoe, Senior Editor here at HRD Connect. On today's episode, we're pleased to be joined by Teresa Palmer, Global Head of Diversity and Inclusion at BAE Systems Digital Intelligence. Teresa's career has spanned over 20 years in the technology industry, having held posts in finance, account and relationship management, customer success, and DNI, among others. Most recently, Teresa has spent the last five years developing, launching, and maturing the diversity and inclusion strategy and execution at BAE Systems Digital Intelligence, as well as contributing towards a cohesive company-wide strategy across all of BAE. In 2020, this remit extended to also drive awareness and enhancements to mental health, well-being, and engagement in BAE Systems Digital Intelligence, further strengthening a whole employee view while delivering upon the diversity and inclusion strategy. To tell us more about BAE's initiatives, their challenges, and their successes, here's our recent conversation with Teresa. So in your role, Teresa, tell us what are some of the, the main challenges that you attempt to address um, and how have those changed over time? Sure. Um, I, there's lots. <laughs> I'm there's sure. Lo- there's lots of challenges. Um, I, I tend to try to keep the same one or two, quite frankly. And um, they are the culture um, and they are engagement. So the way that we engage with people and really the way that we get people to engage back with us. Um, and, and, and I think they, they tie up together really, really nicely together. The culture is a really, really big one because if you keep sort of that broad, those broad challenges as your ongoing challenges, then it, you're sort of always keeping everything at the heart of what, where your problems and solutions lie. Everything else after that is really just tactical. Um, and, and it is non-trivial culture. Uh, it is one of the most difficult things to change. And that's because, I mean, anyone that's taken Psych 101, knows that the nature of human beings and their natural instinct um, is to resist change. Those, you know, the, the people that are your change makers are, are not in uh, the majority. So being able to help drive changes, being able to hit challenges head on, that all relates back to your culture. Um, and again, like I said, they, they're, they're, they're intrinsically tied. Um, if you don't have an engaged workforce, then you can't change a culture. So to me, those are those are really the two main challenges. Um, I, I love to look at the ways that you can create culture because I think lots of people try almost too hard and almost almost try to take too many opinions in on what a culture should be. Um, if you look at some of the most successful companies, they have really strong leaders that have a very strong vision of where they want their company to be and where they want it to go. Um, and that helps drive everyone. It's, it's, it's easier, isn't it, to get behind something and someone that you believe in. And then once you get in, because that's what draws you to a company, right? And then if that's the truth when you're there and you live that every day and you feel it, then you become a part of that and it becomes a part of you. Um, I, we had an external speaker years ago at a leadership event. And for whether you agree with him or disagree with him, um, they spoke about, and I didn't know at the time, uh, Jeff Bezos and Amazon. Um, and, and, and probably some people listening know this and some people don't, but it just always stuck with me that um, the headquarters is named day one. And it's that whole ethos that, that, that Bezos stands by on, on that feeling of day one when you walk into something and the way you experience it and the way you hit challenges and everything else with, with energy and innovation and drive on day one and wanting everyone to constantly feel that. Um, and if you think about that, that's, that's what 
that's what you want to do uh, when you're doing, you know, inclusivity and engagement and equity and belonging and diversity and all of that is you want to be able to have people come somewhere that they can understand very simply what you stand for and what you want to be. And then once they're in the door, they can experience that every single day. Um, and that's why I say everything else is tactical around it, because obviously the things that create that will change over time. But if you know that those are your challenges and those are the sort of the two biggest things that you're going to be up against every single day, I think hopefully it helps you refocus um, on what the tactical bits are going to be and engaging with those people to understand what the changing and evolving needs are. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. So I guess I guess looking then at, at that tactical side of things, um, what were some of or what are some of the initiatives or projects that you've been especially proud of at BAE? Yeah, I think so. One of the ways that my role works, um, and, and I actually I suppose it's one of the things I'm proud of, is uh, about two years ago uh, launched a, a strategic approach for 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 what is diversity and inclusion, but um, within my area that is actually encompasses um, mental health, well-being, and engagement. And and I always say that it's my background is actually working with customers and often troubled customers. Um, and so you take that holistic view, right? We talk a lot and there's so much research out there on creating a customer journey and a customer experience and customer success and all these things. And you can actually really transfer a lot of that onto employees if you look at them like the ultimate customer. So you create that employee journey. So when you when you start to think about that, you, you look at the way that we ensure inclusive practices, that we engage with employees regularly, uh, you know, we, we embed mental health and well-being, and, and then we measure it, right, with metrics, because that's what makes, in DNI, a lot of times the metrics um, feel, feel really gross. Um, but when you wrap it in, here's what we're doing, and this is how we measure if it's working, and you prop it up with all those business areas, that's a great thing. And so one of the things I was really proud of, I did not lead this, and, and that, I'm actually proud of that as well, um, but was uh, had an absolutely fantastic woman from our, from our group colleagues lead uh, the launching of the Unmind app. So something really simple, but actually something really great, something that all of our employees can have on their desktop on their phone, they're able to invite a plus one if they want, and they can engage on their well-being on a, on a, on a daily basis. And we can actually um, anonymously um, track sort of how our employees are feeling. Are they engaging with, um, you know, the, the, the sleep sessions? Um, are they feeling stressed? And of the, of the voluntary information that they give back to us through that app as well, too. So it's, it's limited that we get back to make sure that it is very much for them to use. But it's it's handing something like that um, and being a part of launching that across, a, you know, across a very large business. Um, and so you've got all these people all over the world. But again, that's one small thing that we can do to say you are all a part of this and we all care about the way that you feel and the way that, you know, your work and your life is interacting and, you know, and, and creating your experience. Um, we also launched and I did lead this one and I am very proud of that, um, a self-ID campaign. Uh, about just over just over a year ago, uh, that is the collection of our employees' very personal data around their personal characteristics. We had um, a, a real big effort from probably more than 50 people that contributed directly to the launch of that in all kinds of varying ways. Um, everyone came in and delivered. Everyone really worked hard. Everybody came together, and 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 did their bit. Um, and on top of that all. 
we made sure that the communication to our teams was strong and robust and answered the scary questions around it. Um, and we had a really great initial uptake on that. We, we absolutely have work to do by getting our numbers up and our, and our percent completions. And that's that engagement that I talked about earlier. Um, but we had a really fantastic first response on that. And, and that tells me that there was a, a strong percentage of our population that trusted us and knew that we wanted to, I always say self-ID is, is, is literally finding out what we look like, you know, who are we, so that we can actually start putting those tactical things into place based on what we know about ourselves and not what other people are doing, but what's right for our business. So I was really, really proud of that. Um, we've spent a lot of work with our employee resource groups over the last five years, and, um, and they have contributed huge amounts to this. Still work to do to evolve those relationships and continue to grow and mature the way that we learn from them and, and they interact with us and, and what we can get and give to one another. Um, but just last year, two of our employee resource groups won chairman's awards, which are really, really competitive. We have amazing things that go on in our business and we have a set of chairman's awards each year. And two of our ERGs, because of the great work that they're doing, um, con contributing to the business, but then also giving back to employees, won awards. Um, and that's, you know, of sort of the five core. So, you know, we had a good percentage walk away with awards, um, which I, I, I think is I'm really, really proud of that because that is the evolution of how you get a business to come together and you build that culture. And then I think ultimately, very selfishly, um, you know, when I took my role just over five years ago, we didn't have a formal DNI program um, and we do now. So I've, you know, I've, I've, I've been a, a, you know, hopefully the lead contributor in installing one in the business and being able to see it go from this board sponsored, very organic approach to something that's that's really owned by our business now. And so, you know, where I might have been um, doing a lot of the digging very early on, we have a lot of people engaged that really know that it takes a whole business to lead D&I across, you know, across the organization. And so, yeah, I think those are the things that I'd say. It's quite a list, actually, isn't it? But um, yeah, yeah if, I, if I had to pick it, those are those are ones that really stand out to me. That's fantastic. Yeah, I love I love all of that. Um, so so you're talking about leadership and, and sort of to go off of that a little, um, you know, we, as I'm sure you've heard, many companies are reporting, you know, their gender equality numbers are improving everywhere, but at the leadership level. Um, so could you speak a little bit to the leadership glass ceiling issue? Yes, I I'm always a bit skeptical of if if people are seeing it quite frankly everywhere um but that's my um that's my personal view um i've i've actually spoken a lot in the last year about what, what i call plugging the gap and that is what i find in the organizations that i'm speaking with and 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 quite frankly in in my own organization there's sort of that you know people missing in the middle um i think lots of organizations are recruiting like gangbusters at graduate levels and they're seeing a huge huge change in that you see lots of organizations now sort of very, very standard now recruiting 50-50 or, you know, or greater from, you know, from the female perspective into the businesses. Um, and that's great. But from what I'm seeing and hearing and people I'm speaking to, there is, yes, there's obviously a, still a real big challenge at senior levels, but there's a lot that isn't happening somewhere in the middle. Um, and I, I, I tend to equate it to sort of what happens in schools happening all over again. You know, you see lots of research about how, um, you know, girls and boys when they're young are either equivalent or quite frankly, girls are, are outpacing their male peers in STEM subjects. And then as they get a bit older, 
um, it tails off. And, you know, that's what the schools are trying to figure out. That's what government's trying to figure out, isn't it? You know, how do we promote more in the schools so that we can promote more into later life? But I, I see a lot of that sort of resurfacing in organizations where we've got lots coming in and then it tails off and off and off and off and off again. Um, and, and, and somewhere along the lines again, you know, the women are getting outpaced by their male counterparts and they're moving on to something else. And I don't think there's enough attention paid to that. I can't quite figure out why yet, because I don't think I've reinvented a wheel in seeing it. <laughs> it's just that I think a lot of organizations seem to think that they've solved it by getting lots of young women in early. And then they see that that senior level problem. But that is what creates the problem, right? You can't you can't fill those senior roles if you don't develop them in the middle. Um, and, and yes, you can hire externally, but it is the case that sometimes in those senior roles, um, and I've seen this, you might have two or three women in all of EMEA that would be appropriate candidates or even stretch candidates for some of those roles. Um, and those women are happy where they are. So you're not recruiting anymore. You're just trying to poach the unpoachable. So I'm, a, I'm really a firm believer that if we sort of create sustainable development programs that offer learning, opportunity, development, risks, stretches throughout the life cycle um, of that employee journey, we will start to get more senior leaders. And I think the challenge that we have also is it's a long path, right? If you go a development path, it's a long path. And so in some cases, we almost have to be patient and stop trying to shortcut it, take, take the quick wins when we can, but just start the track and just realize we've got to spend more time in the middle um, finding that potential, developing that potential and, and looking for transferable skill sets that can move women from one role to another that might not exactly match. Um, but they've got transferable skills that will that can that can continue to push them up the ladder. Yeah, so I'm I'm I am slightly skeptical that it's that it's everywhere but senior levels, but that is very much my my personal experience and my opinion on it. So I, I think there yeah. is a gap in the middle that we need to spend a, a good deal of time and energy on. Yeah, no, fair enough. And 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 so speaking of that, um, you know, there's obviously we've all heard about the gender pay gap. Um, what are some things that BAE are doing to address that issue? Well, firstly, we contribute to a gender pay gap report every year, <laughs> um, but we build a plan against that and those findings every year. And um, and it, it looks at what we did the previous year. It looks at the impacts that we had and it looks at what we can do next. And that's that's a multidisciplinary team. It'll be quite a few, but you know, it'll be people like myself. It'll be, you know, HR directors. It'll be reward leaders and other leaders throughout our organization that really take a look at that and say, did what we planned work? Because some of it will be short-term, some of it will be long-term. What we've done, you know, in and around that is, for instance, um, in 2021, BAE Systems as a whole set ourselves an ambition to be recognized as the leading employer in the defense and security sector for valuing diversity and inclusion. So that's sort of that broad approach that I've talked about. Um, but that means creating a workplace for everyone that sort of helps our people to be themselves, makes them perform at the best of their ability at work. That's, again, as you can see from some of my previous answers, those are the things that are really important to me um, because I think it's key to success. We, we have to have those metrics, but I don't like leading with metrics because if you lead with the heart and you lead with that culture and you lead with what, you know, what is good for the people, that's that culture piece I mentioned. And that really helps drive what comes next, which is we've announced um, in the same year, our aspiration for women to make up at least 50% of our executive committee by 2030 uh, and for 30% of our UK workforce to be made up of women by 2030. 
we've pledged support to a number of different um, external bodies, but um, to the Women in Defence Charters strategy uh, of achieving a minimum of 30% female representation at all levels across the defence sector by 2030. So um, you don't want to, you don't want, I think a lot of people don't want to believe that some of those, you know, the 30%, for instance, are, are big goals, but they are. When, when you look at women in, in, in defence and in technology, these are big goals. Um, and you want them to be big goals, but you want to do them right. So we have tactical response to those goals, which means ultimately to improve our pay gap, we need a holistic approach so that we can attract more women to the business and have the right environment for them to grow and accomplish their goals. Um, and we close the gap by having more women in senior roles, as we've, you know, as we've just discussed. Yeah. Um, so some of the positives um, that we've seen are the work. Uh, the people, the flexibility and the benefits. Um, areas we can do better are broadening inclusion initiatives, uh, having more representative leadership layers so that they reflect society, so that they reflect our employee population. Um, and some of those, some, just some, so that people get a taste, because I appreciate that that's, I feel like that's broad and a lot of people talk broad. Um, and I listen to these things and I really want people, but I'm sitting there going, tell me something that you did. <laughs> um, so we really look at our exit interview data. Uh, we try really, really hard to, to get as as raw and um, and as open, honest exit, exit interview data as we can from people so that we can look at it and try to, you know, sadly make make good on what might not have gone right um, and, and to make better on what went well. We've recently released dignity and respect standards across our whole organization, and we constantly reiterate those. We have lots of flexible working. Um, I'm a big believer, too, in flexible working. Um, we don't have a lot of statistics on our flexible working, but I always say if you track it, um, it's just a change to your work contract. It's not flexible. <laughs> Once you put it in writing, it's no longer flexible. So we don't track a huge amount of it, but we know anecdotally because um, we speak to a lot of people and we get a lot of great um, feedback on it. We have very flexible working policies. We have work-life integration policies. We partner with external partners like Code First Girls. Um, that helps us attract diverse candidates and also focus on new areas. They have um, a strong focus right now on career changers. So taking women that are doing one thing and, and helping to train them in coding to go into um, you know, a different style career, which they're finding happens later with women um, in wanting to change their careers. We have an emerging female leaders program. Uh, we do offer women-only leadership training opportunities because we know there are differences between the way that um, women and men learn, um, and we want to create those safe spaces. They are identical programs. It just has that option, so people can still go into, um, you know, co-ed co-ed leadership training opportunities. But it's that they can also have that single-sex opportunity as well. Um, and then we, you know, we develop our leaders to be inclusive leaders. We offer things like inclusive recruitment guidelines, inclusive recruitment training practices. Um, so we do try to, to sort of tackle it from all from all sides, if you will. So hopefully those are some examples that will resonate with people. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And I think, yeah, that's, that's a lot that people can take away and, and perhaps integrate into their own organizations. Um, but if you were to offer maybe two other women in um, in HR, uh, what what might those be? Well, so I've got more than two, um, <laughs> but they're bullet points. Um, and it was I did know this question was coming, and and I just literally thought in my mind what came to me, and I wanted it to be um, a very organic response. And so I will say, even though I wrote it down, it is more than two or three, but it's not a huge amount. Um, and what came to me was be tenacious, be resilient, believe in yourself when the doubt sets in or is pushed in, find good people and align with them, 
um, and do your best to avoid toxicity because it is human nature. Um, again, you'll find in research that um, people actually are more likely to connect on a common hate or dislike than they are on a common good. So I always say try to avoid the toxicity because it can drag you in. So find good people, stay with them. Um, and in that same light, develop others as you go. Um, that you, When you pay it forward, it feels really good and you can see that development going. Um, and make tons of mistakes in an attempt to make uh, really great innovative uh, choices and changes. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Um, thank you so much. Is there anything else you wanted to add, Teresa, before we, we say goodbye? Thanks to anyone who listened the whole way through. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. 